to the Thy Neighbor podcast, conversations with everyday people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am your host and occasional solo caster, Tracy Robbins King. If you are inspired by this episode and someone comes to mind as you listen, share this with that person. If you have benefited from the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. Your ratings, reviews, and shares make a difference and allow this podcast to reach more remarkable people like you. Mary Lynn Hingano is one of a kind. I am so excited to have her on the podcast today. Everyone, Mary Lynn is one of those people I met at church and that based on what she said and her comments, I had to get to know her. And of course, I had her on the podcast three years ago, and now I'm finally getting her back on the podcast because I was a rookie and I didn't know what I was doing. So I am so grateful to have you on today. And Mary Lynn, will you start us off by telling us maybe just like the role you feel like your relationship or how how have you developed your relationship with God? Oh, Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me again. The first time was a pleasure. This will just add on to it. So thank you. Basically, so when I was four years old, I remember being extremely scared about something. And it was a re- there was a valid reason to be afraid. And I remember my mom had told me to, whenever you're afraid, you just say a prayer. Because I had a lot of nightmares as a little kid. So I remember my mom said, if you ever wake up and you had a nightmare, just go ahead and say a prayer. So I remember I was terrified. And so I said a prayer and immediately after saying my prayer, I felt an immediate peace come over me. And I felt as if someone was with me at the time. And, um, and it was so comforting and guiding everything that I felt prompted to do, got me out of danger, got me out of the situation that I was in. And throughout my young life, whenever I felt that same feeling and those same promptings and I heeded them, good things happened. And so it just was this like brick upon brick of like, okay, well, if I pray, they get answered. And if they get answered, then who is answering them? That has to be God. And if God's protecting me and he's loving me, then that must be who he is. And so from a very, very young age, my testimony that there is a God for sure. And he does care about our lives was built upon just prayer and something that my mom taught me. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Marilyn, how has those promptings or choosing to follow promptings in your life? How has that created some hinge points? And a hinge point is when life completely changes where, where things have completely changed. There's been a lot. Um, I think, so I was raised in a single parent home. There was me and my brother that grew up in my mom with my mom. And because of that, she was working all the time and it was really hard for her to be there for us in person as well as working. And and she did an amazing job. She, she kicked butt, but because of that, there was a lot of who did I turn to? And I think that's when I turned to God because he was constant, right? And so I think that my whole life, I kind of, I constantly am praying like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And so I can see so many moments in my life where the Lord has said, do this. And my life swerves into like a switchback motion. 
But I think the biggest one that I can pinpoint is when I was 18 years old. So saying that my mom, my parents got divorced when I was two years old um, and my dad's Tongan and my mom is American. Like she was raised in Lake Tahoe, California. Um, there's a very different culture and he got remarried to a wonderful woman and had eight other kids. And I remember that when he moved to the mainland from Hawaii and I was in high school, he kept saying, come live with us, come live with us. I'm like, are you crazy? I live in a house in my own room where no one bothers me. When we come over there, there's 30 people in that house. There's no way. And there was a lot of bitterness too. It's like, why would I put myself in that situation? So when I was 18 years old and I was praying about, okay, what do I do with my life now? And I presented the Lord with three options. I was like, A, go to college. B, move out and go work with, or move in with friends and work. Or C, I mean, maybe move, live with my dad. And immediately answer was move in with your dad. And I was like, I don't think you heard me right. Let's look at the first two. Those are the priority list, A and B. I've made my decision. You should probably make my decision too. And again, with a resounding feeling of C. And that kind of, that 100% change the direction of where my life has gone and is now. Can you tell us some more specifics about why you discovered why that was so important to make that? Oh, decision? Gosh. oh my gosh. Where do I even begin? You'll need a part three for this. No, I'm just, okay. So one is I never knew what a marriage looked like. I didn't know what it looked like to have a priesthood holder in the home. And so to see my stepmom and my dad's marriage, they have a great marriage. And so they, at that time, they'd been married for like 20 years and they still flirted all of the time to the dismay of all of us kids. We're like, can you take it anywhere else? Like, please, for the love of all, just go into the other room. We got it covered in here. And, um, and also this was huge of seeing what it looked like to have a disagreement with a partner, to have a fight with a partner and resolve it. I had never seen that before that I was like, Oh, cause in my mind, if you fight with someone, it's done, you're over. So to see that, Oh, conflict and resolve of conflict makes a relationship stronger. Getting to know my siblings who I'm all very close with learning my culture. That was, that's been a huge thing. And then also battling the resentment and the pain of feeling abandoned by my dad and going head to head with him so many times, because I feel like there's a different view of Polynesian parents versus Western culture when it comes to that. And so there was a huge cultural difference there. And uh, yeah, so, and now it took, I think 10 years for me to feel resolved with things with my dad, but that never would have happened had I not moved in. Wow. Lots of things there. And I love how you talked specifically about what their marriage had that you thought, wow, this is a healthy marriage and that they flirted. How fun is that? I just think that's incredible. What a good example to the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Keep, keep it going, kids. Go dates, go go on dates. Yeah. (laughs) Like the fact that they maintain that kind of lightness also Mm -hmm. to a relationship, like the playfulness, that's, that's Mm -hmm. really beautiful. I love it. And are there any other, what did you see about, can, can you help us know, like, what do you feel like a healthy conflict resolution looks like? Oh gosh, not, this is going to be awful because watch someone's going to come and comment and be like, she's wrong. Like, don't listen. I'm like, well, teach their own, right? 
I think seeing what they did and now being 15 years from that moment and adopting my own standards and implementing that as well. I think that it's, first of all, you're going to get angry. You're going to get upset. You're going to feel that you're validated in your anger, your lack of fulfillment. You're going to feel I'm right. You're wrong. I'm hurt. You hurt me. Right. But I think that if you're going to resolve something and this goes with romantic, platonic, familial, anything, it's when you go to have that conflict, where are you coming from? And I feel like the the most successful resolutions come from I'm hurt and upset and I feel valid in my anger, but I want us to still work out at the end of this. So I'm going to express myself and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to express yourself and somewhere and somehow we're going to meet in the middle. And so I feel like that's when I've seen the best resolutions. And in, in my relationships romantically, the best partners I have ever had have been ones who've had compassion and humility of being like, I messed up. You were hurt. I get it. I'm sorry. But also having the strength to say, okay, I hear you. And I hear that you're upset but have you looked at my perspective? I'm like, Whoop. you know, so I think having a partner that's willing to communicate with you in the same way, or at least learn how to find each other's styles is really important. And then you eventually ended up in Utah when I met you, at least that was a time of your life that you were basically the principal of an or of a school at that time, but you weren't the principal because you didn't have the, the education for it. But how did you find yourself in a position like that? And how did you, what did you learn from being in such a leadership position? Oh, man. So I, I moved, so I went to school in Utah when I graduated, I moved back to California. And then when my sisters, I had two sisters coming off a mission, and then I had three younger cousins slash sisters graduating from high school and they all wanted to come to Utah. No, my father wanted to send all of them to Utah. And he was like, Mary Lynn, do you want to go and help them? I'm like, Sure. Why not? So when I got there the second time, I just needed a job. And so I applied to this school to just be a part-time mentor. That's all I wanted. As I was sitting in the interview, the boss and the owner of the entire company was like, are you applying for the English teaching position? Are you just applying for the mentor position? I was like, just that I don't have a teaching credential. She's like, well, because of what we are and what we can do, as long as you're working towards blah, blah, blah. So I got hired on to be an English high school teacher first. And then in a year and a half, I got promoted to being the education director at the school. And um, because I didn't have the degree and I didn't have technically the experience, I was audited by a principal monthly. And so, and then Oh gosh, what that did to me, I take on leadership pretty well. So leadership didn't, didn't like stress me out or overwhelm me. I think learning how to manage people and their personalities and try to make it cohesive. I think that was the biggest hit. So how did you do that? How did, what did you learn in that process? I don't think I, I don't think I even successfully learned anything. Um, cry. I cried a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I just like, just hold on kids. I'm just going to take a moment to myself. And I shut the door and I ate chocolate and cried. I think that's how I helped solve it. No, I think it comes from, um, and I may not even been successful at it. I mean, there's going to be two sides of every story, right? Like if those poor teachers over here, it's like, yeah, we don't know about that. 
But I think just realizing, um, going back to the validity of somebody, right? Just because we don't see the eye to eye or our strengths or someone else's weaknesses and vice versa, doesn't mean they don't have the validity of being a human. And I think that gives you a lot of compassion and patience and also humbles you a lot of like, I might be the leader here, but you definitely have more strengths than I do in this particular area. I'm going to rely on you and shut my mouth and let you take the lead here. So I think being a leader is more of a director and a, not a discussion leader, but they're the person that just moves the pieces. They don't have to be the dictator. They don't need to make all the decisions, but they kind of just move the pieces to where they need to be. So the right people are doing the right things. Yeah. Is what I think. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's all about having people in the right, in the right seat in the bus, right? The whole (laughs) you have doing the jobs that are actually most conducive to, to their happiness and to also their skill set, right? That can, that can make things much easier on people. Uh, in an organization. So that's really valuable. And then what had you pivot back to going back to California? So that was kind of another hinge point of Heavenly Father. He kind of closed every door for me in Utah. And so finally, this feeling came to me of like, my family in California, immediately I knew that's where I need to be. My parents, they've actually raised like we counted the other day, they've raised about 26 kids in their home and only nine of them have been their own, just bringing them through to better their situations or things like that. So I just figured, well, I'll come and I'll help. And so I came home three years ago and moved in with my parents at the tender age of 30. And I helped take care of six kids. Yeah. And how is that going? What are you learning in that process? Oh my gosh. I will say this. If I never have my own kids, I will not feel like I missed out. And I've never birthed a kid. I've never biologically fallen in love with a child or anything like that. But I think the biggest shock for me was realizing how much I could love another human being that I both (laughs) hated, resented in every single form of the way of like, you don't need to call my name. 10,000 times a day. You don't need to be by my side. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? But then the moments that you see them succeed and you see them discover who they are and find their own worth, those or interact with each other. And you just kind of step back and you see the wonder just beholden to itself. It really humbled me. It really, really humbled me and gave me a lot more respect for parents on a whole of the sacrifice that they put out there. Cause this has only been three years for me and parents are a parent for life. So that was a big deal. And the self-sacrifice you have to do is in the parent role. And the quote of a parent or a mom or a dad or whomever is only as happy as their unhappiest kid. I think that's it. Or is it happiest? But to that to that sense is so true. All five of the kids could have been happy, but if I had one kid that was in the trenches, my heart was broken every day. So there was between the ages of 10 and 17 when I first moved in. So I got all the great prime years. There was uh, four boys and two girls, and the oldest were both 17 and trying to find their way through the world. And I had a young preteen and um, having to balance out those emotions would get me going. And I remember I would um, be fed up and I would just, that's it. 
that's it. I am never having kids. I'm tying my tubes tomorrow. I'm not doing this ever again. And they would just stare at me. And the older 17-year-old boys would be like, ew, gross. We don't want to hear about your tubes. I'm like, oh my gosh, you just totally missed my metaphor. But they're the best things that really have happened in my life in the last five years. And I'm sure that they have reflected things back to you about the good things in you that they've learned from you as well. I think there's, there's a bit of both. There's a bit of like, yeah, you could have done that better. And there's like, okay, sure. Yeah, that helps. Oh my gosh. I remember when we were back at the singles in the singles ward together and you specifically talked about how you still have hope for having a family at that time. Like, yeah, I'm going to have, like, of course I want to have a family. I want to stay hopeful for that dream of mine, but uh, how, what, what has happened in that time? Do you feel like you've still held on to that hope or that you're more at peace with wherever your life kind of ends up? No, I, I think I definitely still have that hope. I think that especially with this pandemic, it really led me to see a lot of maybe reasons why I haven't started a family that have to do a lot with my upbringing or trauma or things that I have held on to that have caused me to sabotage the very buildings of a relationship. And I think on a, on a deeper level, I don't think I, I truly ever wanted kids in that sense. Cause I think like I was relief study president four three times and I felt, and I was served a mission and I love the idea of family. I love my family, but I don't think I ever wanted my own family, but I felt like almost I had to say that that's what I wanted. And I remember I was with my best friend at the time and he was doing everything to prepare for marriage when he was in college. And I remember like, why are you, you really want to get married, but like, that's a big deal for you. And I remember he point blank looked at me. He's like, do you not? And I was like, Hmm. I don't know, but, um, part of the taking care of the six kids, I remember I started going to therapy during over COVID to work on all that stuff. And I remember I was like sweeping the front step and all of a sudden I caught myself daydreaming about settling down, waiting for my husband to go home so we could go to our son's football game. And I threw the broom. I was like, Nope, Nope. What, what did I just commit to in my heart? And so I very much still have a, uh, I now have a more sincere hope for a family, whether or not I get it. I think it's important to constantly have hope for good things to happen. When you had that realization of like, oh, I do have this hope. Do you feel like it was always there, but you had forgotten about it or that it had been blocked? No, I actually, I think I always had a hope to have a relationship a marriage just because I don't want to be alone and I want companionship and I, I want that intimacy with somebody, but I definitely don't think I wanted kids. I think I definitely had this feeling of they're just going to nail me down, which is such an awful thing to say, (laughs) but that's kind of how I felt about them. And so with that, as I was doing that self-work with therapy and as I was coming more into peace with myself, and as I was getting healing from heavenly father, I found like, oh, he's a sly one, that heavenly father. He put me in the situation knowing exactly what it would do to me. Absolutely. As a result of doing therapy and strengthening your relationship with heavenly father in that process, how did you, how do you feel like that has changed you as a person? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have to put this disclaimer on first because I feel like 
Um, I think some people have a negative feeling about therapy and some people have a really positive and some people are kind of in the middle. And something that I have a huge belief in testimony and as far as therapy goes is you have to put in the work and sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it's hard, but you like, it's always worse before the dawn. Right. And so I feel like I came into therapy when COVID began knowing I'm going to do the work because I'm sick of where I'm at right now. I already know that doing A, B, and C gets me this. I need to see what D, E, F looks like. And the only way I can cross that threshold is I have to face my biggest fears. And the only way I can do that as a therapist. So when I started going in and for vulnerability's sake, I found out I had codependency issues, abandonment issues. I had daddy and mommy issues. I had so many things. And but one thing I am grateful for that was taught to me by my mom was this lack of victimization and maybe some, maybe to a toxic level in the sense of I'm fine, a buck up buttercup, you know, and I think that can be very toxic if you don't address the emotions. And so those things were the things I worked on with my therapist and some of the darkest months of my life, because he had to teach me how to sit in my emotions. And those emotions had been buried for over 30 years. And, but now that was two years ago. Since then, I have more self-worth, more self-esteem, more self-peace. I actually look forward to, I've always loved dating. I love dating. It is so much fun. Oh my gosh. I think that's me also, I don't want to get married because then I'll stop dating new people. (laughs) That's a problem for me. I'm like, I love everyone. I just want to discover the world one person at a time. But I've had more fun dating because they, I have felt better about myself. I see more potential. I don't waste time on people who aren't potential. So I'm a whole new and healthier version of myself because of therapy, I think. And what do you feel like other people who are in a similar, maybe they feel like, oh my goodness, I don't think I want to have kids. I think that that's something that a lot of women, not a lot, but I would say there are women in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and in other Christian churches, I think as well. It's not just ours, but I think there's kind of an expectation like this is what I'm supposed to want. And then it's confusing when you're like, why don't I want it? Like I thought I was supposed to want it. And I'm just curious, like, have you ever sort of reconciled your desires, your actual natural desires with like what you feel like God wants for you? So like God's desires for me and my own desires and God, how do you change my heart so that I want what you want? No, I don't. I think that's a great and fair question because I feel like a lot of times being LDS, the doctrine is black and white. It, and But at the same time, we are not black and white. We are not cookie cutter ourselves. We are individuals. And so I think that gray area is where we live. We are gray area trying to navigate the black and white. And that is why God gave us a savior because a savior understands our gray area to our own gray matter. And he knows how to navigate that to us. And so I think like um, there is doctrinal expectation and desire, but then there's also what God knows is best for you within that scheme of things. Right. And so I don't expect God to say, okay, you're square, but you have to fit into the circle hole. I don't believe that's right because, because I know one thing I learned on a date was he said, I think God wants us to be happy. And so if we're not happy, we're not doing something right. And that changed my perspective on God's plan for me. Of like, if I'm unhappy living the gospel this way, then I'm not looking at it in the right way. And so when it comes down to the question of, 
what about women who don't want kids in any religion, in any faith, in any culture, in any space of this world and in every time zone, I think that that's 100% their personal decision. Because first of all, if you don't want kids and you have a kid, poor kid, right? And that kid deserves the best it can get from the imperfections that we are in the embodiment of imperfection. But also like sometimes we're not in a place to want kids because we're not ready to have it. And I think that was it for me. I think had I had kids earlier in my life, I think I would have been a decent mom, but I think I would now, if I had a kid, I'd be excited to be a mom. So I think it's a personal decision between them and their partner and heavenly father and where they feel guided. And I don't think there's any shame to be honest and be like, I don't think I'll ever have kids because I think something where you learn in this singledom of Mormonism is the fact of you can be a mom or a rearer or a parent to a community because some women will never have kids because they can't or whatever, but that doesn't stop them from using their nurturing gifts towards other people or children in their life. I think it looks different for every person. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think that is, is helpful to hear how you've made sense of that and reconcile that. And I think that every single person, we are all on a journey and I think we all get to have that personal revelation as well in regards to how like reconciling our desires with God's will also and saying, okay, what if I, my desires aren't lining up with your will? Like I know your will and I'm not lining up. Like, how do we get there? And I feel like, have you experienced that? Like in regards to, okay, I now know God's will because you did, you talked about how you were going to move in with your dad and you didn't want to do that. How did you finally like get on board with that? Was it just that you, you move forward with faith or how have you kind of reconciled when you know God's will and you're over here? Oh man. Well, I think that's, I think that's like the golden question that people kind of ask like, well, how do I know if it's God or how do I know if it's me? And it's kind of like, as you, once you learn the savior's voice and you have that relationship, you then have to decide there's times where I know for me right now, the Lord's going to let me make my decision. Or there's times where he's like, you got to bite the bullet and you got to humble yourself and change. We're here to progress, not stay stagnant. In order to learn the difference, that's where your relationships, your relationship with God takes places. And the very fundamentals of, I may not be the strongest member of the church, or I may not even be a member of the church because there's even people outside the church that receive answers to prayer. Right. But it's like, but do I have a relationship with him enough to hear his voice, to know the difference? Because also on the other spectrum, I feel some people use God as a cop-out by saying, oh, well, he revealed this, or I feel prompted to do this, or I feel prompted to not do this, right? And I feel very strongly that God doesn't prompt in all things because then it takes away his very gift of agency. But it's so much easier for us to be like, oh, well, God didn't tell me to, so I'm just going to sit here. And that's not God. God expects us to constantly be moving forward. And sometimes that looks like a leap. And sometimes that looks like a tiptoe. Yeah. I love that so much. My friends and I have actually talked about kind of the spiritual manipulation, right? That there can be this idea that, oh, well, this is what God said I needed to do. And so, and sometimes it can feel a little bit like, are you sure God said this or is this you? 
that wants to do this because I think sometimes I think we sometimes say things and it's actually well everybody has to get their own revelation and we all have to proceed in a way that we feel good with and so I think that's uh, an interesting experience as well to be part of a spiritual community as well that has different kind of ways that we interpret the revelation that we do receive as well so God is definitely patient with his children that's there's no doubt on that Well, and just to respond, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where, as a listener to someone who is going through that, or if we get that vibe, it's the thing that I always have to remind myself is like, but I'm not here to judge. They very well could be receiving that revelation. I have no right to input my thoughts. My only thing to do is to be here if they need me, right? It's like, go and live, go and live what you think is right. Go do it. And then I'll be here. I mean, I'll always have my own opinions, but I support you in your relationship with God because I think like no one could tell another person, no, that was not right. That was not an answer to prayer because miraculous things happen every day that are unexplainable. And so I think for ourselves, at least it's trying to be aware of, is that me? Is it a cop out? Or is that the Lord telling me to buck up buttercup kind of thing? I love that. I love that. It's not just like, it's your own personal relationship. It really comes down to how you interpret and how you proceed Versus judging how somebody else is interpreting the spirit. Right. I think that we can discern that when it's dependent on people trying to influence our will, maybe, or our decision making Mm -hmm. revelation, that can be where it becomes like we're crossing the line with another person. But otherwise, it's it's really in their realm and they get to figure that out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I wish more people thought about that, that like that it is everyone's individual journey and it's going to look different because I feel like, especially, you know, nowadays, every, well, I think everyone's been kind of, everyone kind of has their nose in other people's businesses, but now it's easier with social media. But I feel like when other people get involved in other people's spiritual journeys or relationships with God, or they become judgmental, I think it comes from their own insecurity of their own self projections. And that might be something I'm judging, but I think it comes because I know I have felt it with others. Oh my gosh, they're not doing that right. Or they're leaving the church or da, da, da. And it becomes to me, I'm like, oh no, it ignites an insecurity and anxiety within me. And, and I think that's sometimes why we kind of like, oh, that doesn't look perfect or that doesn't look right. And it's because we're coming from a place of uncertainty. And that's why I think now I try so hard to like, no, you do you go live your best life. Like I know it's to be true and and you're going to know it to be true for you. And like, you have wonderful spiritual gifts that are not what I have and your strengths are not my strengths. And I feel like that's one thing I do love about the gospel is that you and I get to bump shoulders and I become a better person because of you. And I think that's a beautiful element of camaraderie in this gospel. And 100% that we wouldn't, we wouldn't hit maybe rub shoulders with the people we do because we're part of the church community. Like those people, maybe would people we would never cross paths with if we didn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ and an opportunity to learn from a community of believers, which is so powerful right? beyond anything that we could create personally by ourselves, but that God has created through an organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think one of my my thoughts um, or or questions for you is when you do see somebody on their journey and you're like, oh, look, I totally accept where you are and I'm happy for what you're learning in this path of life. Um, how do you feel like you've been able to navigate 
when you do see people who like leave the church, right? Or you see people who navigate away from God in their own directions, like what if, how, how have you found, I mean, I guess you kind of talked about how you feel like you've just been like, Hey, this is, this is the path that they're going to take and they're going to find their way, but you've been able to maintain your integrity in that in regards that you've been able to say like, I know what God has done for me, but I'm going to allow you to have your own journey. I'm just curious about how have you navigated those conversations or even those mental conversations in your head when you see that happening to those you love? Ooh, that is a great, wonderful question. Those conversations are hard. And sometimes because there's so many emotions go through, especially the closer that person is to you. Sometimes there's culture that's involved and there's family ties are involved. Or sometimes it was the thing that held your relationship together, right? Because there's so there's so many social aspects as well to the church outside of the doctrine. Right. But I think it goes to listening, just as long as, you know, they're being as respectful as you're being respectful to them, it's listening with a compassionate ear and realizing that the things that they're upset about, they're allowed to feel upset about. That is their personal experience. And we don't know what happened with the people they were with. We don't know about where they were in their life. We don't know what trauma, we don't know what influenced them. We don't know that. Right. And I had a conversation with someone once that apologized for venting about their frustrations with the church. And my take on that was like, you don't have to apologize to me. She's like, but I know that you really love the church. I know you really love the gospel. And I said, but I also love you. And if your doubts and your dismays about the church can overthrow what I love about the church, then maybe I need to rethink where I stand. But at the same time, my other response is, as negative as your experience has have been and as valid as you are to feel those, my positive experiences and my enrichment are also valid. And, um, and that's where you just like, I'm here to listen and I love you, but, and that's where you really dig in. If you're scared by listening to someone else's honesty, that your testimony is going to be overthrown, then I think that maybe you need to work on your testimony or rethink what you're doing. But yeah, I think that's just realizing everyone is on their own journey and just give it up to God. Like he has it handled. I think sometimes it's in the church because there's a lot of leadership roles. I think, oh, I'm responsible for so many people's spiritual faith. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you are not. And I was like, you're not Christ. You're not God. You are Mary Lynn. You cannot do what they do and you cannot love them like they love them. You just have to exist and do your best. Oh, I love that so much. Uh, what is the role of uh, scriptures? Like, have you, have you, how have you used the word of God in your life or the words of the prophets? What has been influential in helping strengthen your faith? Um, so I love reading the scriptures. I love it. And I think I take it more. So this is interesting on my mission. I actually lost my testimony, a big chunk of it. And it terrified me to my soul because, and it wasn't just like, oh, I don't believe I've lost my testimony in the LDS faith. I lost my testimony that there was a God. And I remember my mom had made me a book of testimonies from all of my family members who had served missions, both on my mom's side and my dad's side. And I remember looking at that book and being like, if all of those people that are different from different places have a faith in God, then maybe I need to read those. So I'd read them. And then I was thinking, man, if I have to gain, regain my testimony of Christianity or a God, 
then I'm going to start where all Christians start. And that's the Bible. So on my mission, I started reading the old Testament from page one and by the, and every day, just reading it, reading, reading it. By the time I got to numbers, I knew without a shadow of doubt that there was a God on this earth. And, um, after that, the existence of God and his relationship with man became logical to me and no longer emotional. And that's kind of been my foundation. And I just have a thirst for scriptures in a logical sense, like, yes, spiritually, but it's interesting because to me, it's just other people's stories of how they dealt with the gray area, you know? That's so beautiful. Cause you can actually relate to them too. You can relate yeah. to people who go through those moments of, I don't even know if there's a God anymore. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's anything out there that's, that's leading this along. That's pretty powerful that you have that experience. I am in numbers right now. And <laughs> so, I am so fascinated to be honest that you I mean, I love numbers, actually. I've enjoyed numbers, but Leviticus and Exodus were tough. So I am really (laughs) proud that you like found a foundation in those two books of scripture because I was was, slogging through. I was like, all right, law, like, let's talk about those law of Moses, man. And I, I was, I was having some moments, but I am kind of curious. Do you know specifically what from the Bible was helping enrich your faith in God? (sighs) <sighs> um, it's been so long. Cause that was 13 years ago. I think it was seeing people. Okay. So on my mission, you meet hundreds of people from different faiths who are people who are atheists or agnostic from different financial backgrounds, from different cultures and all this stuff. And one thing that I saw that is in common with every single person was they were all searching for something bigger than themselves. And as I read the Bible, it was a fulfillment of well, this just makes sense. And, um, the things, and I think, um, Bollock and Bo- I'm going to say his name wrong, Bollum or whatever. That was actually the story that hit me the most because you had these two men that to me became like caricatures of human emotion of, I'm trying to follow the Lord, but I'm very tempted by this over here, but I keep being told that I can't disobey God. And just, I think that was what struck me of like this human desire of both light and dark. I know I should, but I don't want to, but I'm going to anyways. And then just seeing how they navigated it in the old Testament was extremely similar to how we do it here in 2022. And I think that's what struck me. It was like human nature is same then as it is now. And we know that God is the same. So the relationships are going to be the same. So why couldn't this be right too? And so I know people are always struck when I say, yeah, the old Testament gave me my faith in God because most people don't like the old Testament. I actually love it. I am loving it, but I love, I love Genesis and I like numbers, but Exodus and Leviticus were a little rough for me. I'm like, oh man. But, um, I, I do, I felt that real strong prompting in this interview to ask you about your, your relationship with the scriptures. And I think that that's really enlightening. I would have never guessed that that's what story was going to come out of that. But also there's this part of me that says, do you feel like when your, your, your testimony went from, I don't have a testimony anymore to now I have a testimony, but it's more logical. How did that change your faith? Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful for what it's done because 
Because, you know, as a kid and even as adults, we're learned the fruits of the spirit are, you know, the good feelings, the warm, fuzzy feelings. And a lot of times people struggle with that. Like, well, those can't always be trusted in me. You can feel good, fuzzy from something you laughed at. Right. I think the reason why I lost my testimony in the first place is I was afraid to stand up for myself because I was when I was confronting people who disagreed because I was afraid to tell anybody that they were wrong or that I disagreed with them because I didn't feel it was my place to ever tell anyone that they were wrong. And I don't think that people are wrong again, because we're all um, products of our experience. Um, But after learning my testimony logically, I had more confidence that what I believed was what I believed to be true. And no matter what you tell me, that's not going to change what I know to be true. And even if I'm wrong in the end, I'm still glad to live my life within this frame of belief than not, you know, because it just now like the commandments they make, I might, there's sometimes I don't want to live certain commandments. I'm like, you know what? I don't want it. I want to go do my thing, you know? Um, that cup of coffee smells real good. Like I love that smell, but now the commandments are logical to me. They're not because a prophet told me they're not because it's in our doctrine. It's not because I was taught that by leaders or by my parents. It's because it just logically makes sense to me. So now when I get doubts about principles of the gospel, or I find it hard to live a principle of the gospel, I now search my doubts through logic of like, okay, well, I have faith that this leader is a prophet of God, or I do believe in the scriptures. So now where do I go with that? And it becomes a logical search of why does it make sense? So, That's so oh, no. Oh, so I feel very prompted to share this and I have no desire to share this. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. I see you dancing on the screen and it does not make me comfortable. Oh my gosh. Okay. So part of my therapy. So when I was a kid, I went through, um, I was molested. And because of that, I have a huge fear of physical intimacy. And that's a reason why I've sabotaged a lot of my relationships. Not to say I haven't kissed a guy or two, but those poor men had to work for it. Let me tell you those poor people. But, um, part of that was having to battle my PTSD that came with physical intimacy. Right. And I was talking to my therapist who I absolutely love, absolutely love. And I love the way he teaches because he's tough love. He just puts it straight. And he was like, you know, in order to get over PTSD, you have to relearn your triggers. I'm like, well, mine were very physical triggers. So now I need another participant to help me relearn my triggers. Do you know how hard that is? And he's like, well, I guess it's time. And so I remember he says, I want you to question anything external that you've ever gotten so you can relearn this. And part of that was the law of chastity. Because here I'm in my 30s. I mean, let's go already kind of thing, right? It's hard. And now I'm talking to these men who want to do all these things with me with the law of chastity. And I really had, my testimony was really frazzled with, well, who cares at this point? Like I'm in my mid thirties and who's going to know, but me and all of these things. Right. And the temptation was great. And there's like, well, what if we love each other? And it's just an expression. Like I'm not being philanderous or, you know, I'm just with this one person. So that was really hard. And then I met this guy that I got along with great and he respected me and I respected him. And it was looking really solid. And I was like, Oh my goodness, please. And, um, but one day it just became logical to me, the commandment of the law of chastity of not just about self-control, but of the kind of foundation I want to build my relationship on. 
and what I would want for my kids. And that's not, I'm not speaking for everyone here, but the law of chastity, but that was the personal journey that came to me that I don't follow the law of chastity now because I've been told to, because when I was following it, when someone told me to, I was ticked and resentful and I was very bitter against the church about it. But I follow the law of chastity now because it's my choice, because I see fundamentality of it in my own life. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating how, like, I feel like one of the themes that we're getting to in this entire conversation is that when we actually aren't just doing things almost out of, I mean, faith is still a piece of this conversation. Faith is always a part of it, but it's also saying like, it's me coming to know something in a different way than I previously knew it. It's when I was told to do something, so I did it, and then I was resentful, but then I switched to being like, no, this is why I'm choosing this, and it's my decision, and it makes sense to me now, whereas before I was doing it to just kind of check off these boxes. Mm -hmm. And that to me is such a powerful, powerful story in regards to how incredible that that invitation led you to your own decision. Okay. This is actually what I want. This isn't just what yeah. God wants for me. Right. I was like, maybe I should give my therapist a raise because he's just changing my life left and right. Seriously. <laughs> go therapist, go marry therapist, right? <laughs> Honestly. So awesome. And I'm really grateful, Maryland. I feel like this conversation has been one of those that took a different turn that I, I don't think I knew what it was going to hold for us, but I'm so grateful for what you've shared. And is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to say or share? Well, thank you so much. I, this has been really cool. And I really respect what you do with your podcast of just that you talk to so many different people and you're fine. This, when I first met you and you would talk to me about your podcast, those many, many years ago, the thing that I, struck me and I find so admirable about what you're doing is that you're finding the good within the community and you're showing that because I feel like so many people, there's so many, you know, bad things happening or people fixate on that. And I love that you are shining light on the wonderful, good things of people's hearts, spirits, and the world. So I just want to thank you. I think that what you're doing is absolutely awesome. Thank you so much, Mary Lynn. You are a gift to all of us. And I'm so excited for those who get to listen to this. Oh, man. Oh, man.